Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday, March 17. I'm Jan Fran. In this episode of the show, we're going to go deep on a very shallow TV show, Byron Bay's. Netflix has said we're going to make a reality show called Byron Bray's. I feel like I'm in high school again. You've got to stop causing beef between two guys. This is not what Byron is about. Now, a new reality show coming to Netflix is copping serious backlash. Reality TV is the McDonald's of, of television, and we fought McDonald's here, and we have kept McDonald's out. They certainly have fought McDonald's. They've kept McDonald's out. I love that line. But as you can hear, there was a big backlash when... This Netflix series was first announced. Uh, The local Byron Bay Council even voted to try and stop it. It didn't work. The series itself is out now, so we're asking, was the backlash, you know, a little bit overblown? I think it's a bit precious almost. Okay, straight to the point there. Byron Bay Mayor, you're going to hear from him a little later in the show as well as the guy who came up with the concept in the first place. First of all, most of the people there are influencers or have got, you know, their influencer adjacent in some kind of way. And that is very particular to Byron Bay. Oh, I love a bit of reality TV show talk. Byron Bay's, was it a storm in a teacup? Storm in a chai teacup, maybe? That's the question Tom and Tony are going to be asking a little bit later in the show. But first, as always, the headlines. And for that, I'm joined by Annika Smethurst. Hi, Jan. Now, the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has addressed US Congress overnight. Appearing via video link, he called for help to close the skies, showing a graphic video of the damage inflicted on Ukraine by Russian forces. Yeah, so what you're hearing is that video there. It depicts bombings of Ukrainian buildings. Um, and also desperate attempts to revive people injured in the attacks. He addressed the US president personally, and he said this. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. So what he wants is a no-fly zone over the Ukraine, which the US has repeatedly refused to create due to fears it will escalate the war to a more global conflict. Now, Biden is facing pressure from Republicans to send Ukraine fighter jets But for now, he's announced more than a billion dollars in aid for the country. We will keep up the pressure on Putin's crumbling economy, isolating him on the global stage. That's our goal. Make Putin pay the price, weaken his position, while strengthening the hand of the Ukrainians on the battlefield at the negotiating table. Yeah, meantime, on the ground, uh, Russian forces have bombed a theatre and they've taken hundreds of hospital patients and staff hostage in the encircled port city of Mariupol, um, between 1,000 and 1,200 people were there during today's attack and the number of casualties is still unknown at this point. The US Embassy says Russian forces have shot and killed 10 people standing in line for bread in a city in northern Ukraine. And in Kyiv, a 12-storey residential building has been damaged after it was hit by Russian shelling. Yeah, so this is happening um, all over the country in Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv. Um, that was also under attack. Two people confirmed dead and two residential buildings there destroyed. There is some cautiously positive news, though. I want to stress that point, cautiously. Um, Ukraine and Russia are somewhat close to agreeing on Ukraine's neutral status and which could become part of a peace agreement that basically means that Ukraine will not join 
NATO, which the president himself has announced. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has said he wouldn't shy away from sanctioning China if China began supporting the Russian invasion. One thing that has disturbed me from the outset, apart from the obvious in terms of Russia's violent and illegal invasion of Ukraine, has been the chilling silence that we saw from China. And I think there is a real lack of transparency in the relationship between China and Russia. Yeah, so, so far um, China has withheld explicit criticism of the Russian invasion, but a number of Chinese private companies are either cutting ties or closing off exports to Russia completely. This includes China's largest smartphone operators, Huawei, Oppo and Xiaomi. And these companies, I mean, this is a big deal because they account for 60% of the Russian smartphone market. Geely, the owner of Volvo and Lenovo, the Chinese computer makers, have also reportedly suspended exports while TikTok has suspended service in Russia. So as you say, Jan, they're really operating in a grey area. Now, I'm borrowing that term from a former head spy in Australia who says that this is where Beijing is operating. They're sort of, I guess, having a bit each way on this one. Yeah, I feel like they're they're trying to play um, both sides of the tennis court because the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, is very openly supportive of Russia. China has called Russia, you know, a, a very important lifelong friend. China supports Russia in places like the UN and the International Court of Justice by voting with them and against the West, and yet companies are pulling out. So... It does seem like both sides of the tennis court, doesn't it? Yeah, it does seem like that's where they're operating. And you can understand they don't want to be isolated in the way that we're seeing what's happening to Russia. That would obviously cause um, a lot of devastation to the country. There's sort of financial sanctions. But as you say, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin have really created a pretty warm relationship and united by their opposition to the US over the years. So it's a Difficult road, I guess, China's navigating, but make it, uh, I guess, Australia and the US have made it pretty clear where they sit and what they're prepared to do should China go any closer to Russia in this one. And to the flood story in the northern rivers of New South Wales and in New South Wales, uh, Liberal Upper House MP Catherine Cusack will resign over the distribution of emergency disaster funding in that part of the world. Flood victims in a National Party seat were given three times the level of disaster assistance versus flood victims that are in a later seat of Richmond who have not been offered that assistance. That's Cusack on ABC Radio there. Now, this comes after revelations last week that the Ballina, Byron and Tweed Shires, they missed out on those extra disaster payments that nearby Lismore, Richmond Valley and the Clarence Valley received which was an extra two weekly payments worth $1,000 per adult and $400 per child. Yeah, so what Catherine Cusack is effectively protesting about is that the three areas that received this extra federal government funding are all in the Nationals-held federal seat of Page. However, Byron, Ballina and Tweed are in the federal seat of Richmond, which is held by Labor. Meantime, New South Wales Northern Rivers MP Janelle Saffin is calling for an inquiry into the handling of emergency triple zero phone calls made during the floods. Now, hundreds of people were sent to a messaging service when they tried to reach out for help and the system was overwhelmed. The number of emergency calls received on one morning on Monday, February 28, actually exceeded any other date on record. Yeah, that's huge and obviously huge ramifications as well. There was an estimated 20 communities 
uh, that were cut off from emergency help and also proper communication for days. And to the Northern Territory now, where the Chief Minister has rejected the idea of a ban on police carrying guns. It follows the shooting death of Kumanjai Walker by police officer Zachary Rolfe in 2019. Now, after a murder trial recently, Rolfe was found not guilty. Yeah, this happened last Friday. Chief Minister Michael Gunner said that police have to have the kit that they need and they never know what situation they're going to be responding to. There's been really impassioned pleas, though, from the Endemu elders um, to keep armed police out of Aboriginal communities. No guns! No guns! In the road remote community. We don't want no guns! Enough! It's enough! That was Ned Japanjima Hargraves, a Yundamu elder, outside the courthouse following Rolf's acquittal last week. Now, peak Indigenous organisations in the Northern Territory also want armed police out of the communities and they've called for an inquiry into the use of force. And to news from across the ditch, this is good news for anybody hoping to get to New Zealand. Tourism operators in NZ are really crossing their fingers that Aussies are going to make the trip across that ditch in the next few months because the border reopens quarantine-free from April 12. The borders are opening just before school holidays. Friends and family, both Kiwis returning home, but also Australians seeing friends that they haven't seen for a long time will be will be significant up and down the country. That's Andrew Waddell from Tourism New Zealand there. Now, Australians usually make up around 40% of New Zealand's international visitors. So as you can imagine, Jan, they'll be really hoping we flood back over there. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not entirely 100% smooth sailing. Visitors are going to be required to pass a rapid antigen test upon arrival and they will have to be ready to isolate if they do test positive, FYI. So there is still that happening. But for the most part, April 12th, generally open NZ bubble. All right, up next, we're going somewhere completely different. Well, not you and I, but Tom and Tony heading to Byron Bay to talk Byron Bay's. Antoinette Latouf joins me for a very deep conversation <laughs> about a shallow series, Byron Bay's. <laughs> it's the first Aussie reality show commissioned by Netflix, so that in itself is is pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's it's big news, and it got a big backlash at mm. the time it was commissioned. The local community tried to stop it. The council even refused permission to film on some Byron locations. Local businesses refused filming permissions. There was even a boogie board paddle Mm. out in protest, very Byron. The basic concern was that it would misrepresent Byron by focusing on its shallower side. There were even fears it would bring even more people to Byron, which was already seeing a massive influx, a huge spike in property prices, pushing lots of real locals out of the market. And then to add insult to injury, its release date last week, of, of course this couldn't have been planned or avoided, it coincided with the floods, which smashed so many towns in the area and it heightened one of the community's biggest problems. And and that's, as you mentioned, Tom, housing. So now that it's out, was all that backlash warranted? Michael Lyon is the mayor. He met with Netflix about the production at the time, clearly wasn't able to stop it. So, Michael, now that you've seen it, what do you think? Oh, it's it's terrible. It's 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 reality TV. Look, I, I don't like any reality TV. I find it all so abysmal. Mm. I think tiresome and vacuous was was the, was a classic phrase I might have used for for another one of these. But 
it's really poorly acted at the start. They seem to get better. I only watched one episode and it certainly doesn't put Byron in, in a very good light in terms of that whole spirituality aspect. Well, there were concerns from locals that the show wouldn't be authentic, but then also parts of the show had to be shot in like nearby locations like Ballina and Kingscliff because permits weren't granted to film on several local premises. So like, how can it be authentic if access isn't given? Well, I guess that that's a concern if you want to be a documentary about Byron, but this isn't a, <laughs> this isn't a documentary. I mean, this is just really base level reality TV. Well, you but, sound so relaxed and chill about it, but that doesn't reflect the intensity of the backlash to it when it was first announced. Locals were up in arms. There was a, a boogie board paddle out. There were um, local business people saying they wouldn't allow them to film on their premises. They couldn't get permission to film on local beaches from council. So there was a lot of angst about this. What was that all about? What, what were the real concerns? Honestly, I, was, I, I found myself trying to remember what all that was about. And, and after watching it, I, I am starting to wonder actually what the big deal is, to well, be right. So it was an like, overreaction, do you think, initially from a lot of people? Well, locals? I think it was more about the, the, the locations, how they were basically filming without permission. They were going to be going into locations that didn't know that because of the type of setup. It was, I thought originally it was going to be done just with little, like with phones and with a really minimum crew. So you, you might not have even been able to tell mm. that they were filming. I think there was something around that. It was definitely about the locations and the filming permission. I think at the time I expressed those concerns on, on those aspects. I met with Netflix and expressed all that, but I certainly wasn't one of the ones leading the charge. Is it unrealistic for a community to think they can control the narrative about them? Yeah, and look, I don't, I don't want to upset anyone, but I think it's a bit precious almost. Was it hard to see it coming out at the same time as the floods? I didn't notice, to be honest. So no, it wasn't hard because, you know, it was all just all hands to the pumps at that, that stage for me. There were concerns at the time about a, a housing crisis and the pandemic has driven, you know, a sea change with many people moving to coastal areas like Byron. And my understanding is that that's been exacerbated by floods. Can you quantify that or give me some context on housing availability and affordability? I think that was a concern that we were going to sort of you know, create this brand even further, this brand buyer and drive people coming to the region, which which obviously we do have a, a huge housing crisis and it's it's just been exacerbated. And, and that's, you know, and this is the real thing, you know, this is, this is for me what government is about and, and being a responsible leader is about, is trying to solve these problems. So I guess when you do see something like that, that's going to, through no fault of its own in a way, like they're not trying to do that, do you know what I mean? They're not trying to create increased rental demand. They're not trying to displace people when they're creating a TV show. They're trying to make money and and be creative, right? So I don't think you can directly blame them. I mean, yes, that was definitely a concern. And now that I recall, I think that was probably why I was concerned about it at the time. It's a pretty desperate situation on the ground um, mm. anyway in Byron Shire. It really is. And we've been fighting for well over a year for real solutions to that problem. And the floods have just made that you know hugely worse. Having said that, it's created an opportunity through disaster to really highlight the problems that we're facing in that. And so we can't let this slip. There has been some provisions announced for tr- emergency transition accommodation, so hopefully we can leverage that to get some sort of solutions on the ground for, for everyone that's in desperate situation in the Byron Shire and then bias the time to put in some long-term solutions. That was Michael Lyon, the mayor of Byron, admitting that the backlash was 
a bit precious. Oh, wow. I, I'm so glad he said it. I have like <laughs> worse words to describe the backlash. But yeah, I'm glad he was able to reflect and realise it wasn't really that big a deal. So your perspective on that is that you come from Western Sydney, which has had a lot of more serious bad press over the decades. Absolutely. Whether it's a documentary about housing commission or coverage about crimes and certain ethnic minorities, that sort of coverage is so much more sinister. It doesn't make people want to live there more or sip on chai lattes. And so when I saw this backlash, I was like, ah, come on, you're being, Mm. as the mayor put it, so precious. Mm. All right. Well, let's put some of these issues to the guy who came up with the idea. His name's Julian Morgans. It was him that pitched it to Netflix and they said yes and then he became one of the executive producers. Julian, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. This was your concept and it's a huge career achievement to get this series up. It's Netflix's first locally produced reality series. So what's it been like for you personally, you know, for something that was such a career win for you but there's been so many people who don't like this? So on the one hand, it's been an amazing uh, experience because I've been making content for a long time and, uh, you know, usually no one cares. In this particular instance, lots of people cared. I have come from a documentary background, so that was always my motivation for exploring this topic. I went to Byron Bay. I was there for a weekend and I saw how much the place had changed since I was last there maybe 15 years earlier. And I thought, wow, it'd be really interesting to, to explore this. So the impetus for me was always about charting the way that the town has changed. And I understand for a lot of people, they were kind of like, well, this is an aspect of maybe it's changed that we're not comfortable with. It's about um, understanding why these sociological shifts are taking place. So what was it like then for you and the team to see the area hit by a flood disaster right as your series about the sociological or, you know, we can even put it as the shallower side of Byron was launched to the world? It's horrible. I know so many friends and family around this area who have been affected. And at the same time, Netflix is this giant machine. They've had this in the pipes for for months and this has been the scheduled time for months. It's like trying to turn around a cruise ship Mm -hmm. when you're going at full speed. So you throw this idea out to the world, but obviously then in a production of this size, you have to work with so many people, so many different creative visions. And it was interesting to hear you say you, uh, from a journalistic perspective, saw this as a sociological observation of the change in this area. But what you got was more like a soapy. Did it turn out how you expected it to? I thought it'd be really interesting to put like a reality TV lens over that, just to make it accessible, just to be like, hey, look, come in and, and let's check this out together in just the easiest way possible. So yeah, I've been, I've been really happy with the way it turned out. It's been a dream working with these people. Reality TV gets a poor rap, but my God, like trying to make one of these shows, the whole thing is like the most complicated piece of Mm. ballet you'd possibly imagine. And watching these people execute this finely tuned dance is astounding. It's been really cool. But it seemed like it it could have been a story that could have happened in Summer Bay or Yabby Creek even or Ramsey Street. It was about the relationship mostly between Sarah and Nathan and all the sort of interpersonal dynamics around that. I mean, how much do you think it really reflected... Byron Bay? Because I mean, in many cases, you even had to film outside the local area. First of all, most of the people there are influencers or have got, you know, their influencer adjacent in some kind of way. And that is very particular to Byron Bay. There's also this thread about outsiders and and, uh, this sort of blow-in culture, which Mm -hmm. is particular to Byron Bay. So yeah, I'd argue that there are things there that are are very um, unique to this one area in Australia. There was so much said about Byron Bay, even before a frame was shot. 
What's the reaction been since its release? I mean, here's one review, and I quite liked it. They refer to it as a glorious hate watch. (laughs) Yeah, I loved that review. Um, A lot of people have been throwing around that phrase. I mean, a lot of people have been watching it. I mean, that's the main thing. If you make a show, you want people to watch your show, and people have been watching it. Do you think the backlash was overblown? I think the reason that it got that traction. I think the reason that it hit the newspapers was there was something innately uh, spicy about focusing on influencer culture, which has been controversial since it first emerged. People, for whatever reason, get upset about influencers. Just the idea of, you know, like <laughs> pretty young people making their own money out of mm. what, what seems like vanity, uh, that upsets people. But we didn't place these influences there. We didn't create this influencer culture in Byron. We were just exploring something that was already there. So given some of that hostility, what was it like filming? Like I've been a TV journo for years and years and had all sorts of things, both physical and verbal, hurled at me. Did you guys face much hostility? I think it was pretty challenging for a lot of people who were just showing up to do their nine-to-five job and were, were being faced with this red-hot controversy, especially if you're trying to navigate something as as emotionally complex uh, as a reality TV show, which is all about like keeping your talent in a particular sort of emotional bubble and, and trying to nurture various storylines. And then you've got a protest happening hmm. just down the street and you can hear sort of shouts and stuff. One of the things is the biggest problem in Byron is what the mayor spoke about as well is the, the housing shortage. And if you're talking about the sociological look at a community like this, do you wish you could have got that sort of thread into this story? Yeah, these issues are serious. It's not like when people bring these issues up that the significance that we underestimate or or we're ignoring their significance. I I think these things are really important. But do I feel like we'd woven more of that story in? I think it's pretty hard, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was interested in charting, particularly the rise of influencer culture. That was Mm -hmm. the big shift, Mm -hmm. the number one that I was interested in exploring. Not every shift. No, trying to cover every sociological shift in one town over an eight-part series is impossible. You can't do it. So we've got to choose. What does success look like for you? So a second season would be fantastic. That would be incredible. That was Julian Morgans, filmmaker and creator of Byron Bay's. So Julian's obviously keen for a second series. And I wonder if it does get commissioned, what the locals will be like. I don't think the mayor will be out there protesting. No, well, locals will know the mayor doesn't really give a stuff. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> protesting against the mayor. At the ballot box. Listener.